Good morning. I'm Pastor Crystal, and I welcome you to our Restored series. Today, what I want to talk to you about is mental health. It is a subject that is often not discussed much within the context of church and faith. The Christian community in general has been reluctant to address mental health issues and its real effects. The stance most religious leaders and churches take is one of a hands-off and avoidance coupled with a religious beating for the lack of faith and joy of overcoming circumstances. Oftentimes, as mental health begins to suffer and break down, it is the worst part that takes over within and not the best. Has it ever occurred to you that it's odd when a person breaks down, they don't become more loving, compassionate, and joyful? No, it seems that something within has traumatized the best of who they are and it releases the worst. I'm pretty confident that many of you watching today have struggled with some form of stress, anxiety, depression, or loneliness. And some of you have struggled deeply for years. It is a real part of our lives and a real struggle as human beings. We find ourselves today living in an unprecedented time, a time where the world has been united in a global effort to contain a pandemic, manage the population to limit the spread of the virus, and a concerted effort to balance the economics in order to minimize business and financial losses. In that backdrop, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation survey, people are increasingly reporting that the coronavirus is having a negative effect on their mental health. More than four in 10 adults, 45%, feel that worry, stress are related to the coronavirus and it has had a negative impact on their mental health. Overwhelmingly, many are reporting the effects of stress, anxiety, worry, disconnection, and loneliness from all the uncertainties surrounding us from the social distancing, financial impact of families, business, and the economy. As believers, how do we stand and not be moved? How do we set our eyes on things above when things right in front of us are shaken and so uncertain? How do we connect to this Christ faith of ours and see a victory, see a deliverance, see an answer? This is what I want to talk to you about. Practical steps grounded in biblical truths evidenced in the life stories of scripture. But first, I'd like to share my story of losing myself in the struggle to maintain mental health. The first five years of Crystal Hansen's life were filled with sadness. Her parents had only been married 11 months when her father died of cancer. Crystal was born six weeks after his death. But also in that time frame, my mother buried her mom and her father as well. So in the first five years of my life, there was a lot of grief and sorrow and um, death. That sorrow stayed with Crystal throughout her childhood, but she kept her feelings to herself. I think I had a twofold life going. I was very active in sports and church, had a lot of friends. But on the inside, I remember, you know, at nighttime crying myself to sleep, asking those questions, you know, uh, what would my dad think of me? What would he, you know, what would have been my relationship with him? When I was left alone to think of those things, uh, I could feel the pain of the loss. Raised in the church, Crystal struggled to understand why her sadness would not go away. What's wrong with me? Why isn't God answering? Why can't I hear Him? Why is the joy of the Lord elusive from me? And so I really went into a performance mentality uh, of, well, I'll just do a little more and maybe I'll feel better. I'll just study the Word a little more. Maybe I'll, I'll be all right. I'll go into ministry. And eventually, my feelings will come around. Eventually, this will go away. And it never did. With the depression came uncontrollable mood swings. Episodes of high energy and productivity were followed by deep lows. That time in the 60s and 70s, depression was not a thing a believer should have. It was not talked about in the church. Basically, you know, a believer shouldn't be depressed. You shouldn't be struggling with that sadness because the joy of the Lord is your strength. So perform to get to the joy, pretend you've got the joy, act like you've got the joy, but on the inside you're struggling. You didn't share those kinds of struggles. She was vibrant. She was very extroverted. She was the life of the party. Uh, she was very passionate about ministry, had great gifts, and those were all the things that really you know, attracted me to her. 
By the time she met Ken Hansen in Bible college, Crystal had mastered the art of hiding depression, but after they married, it was difficult to totally conceal her mood swings. It was more like a Jekyll and Hyde thing, where she was fine most of the time, but every once in a while, we'd have these hours or a day where she turned into someone else. I mean, it was bizarre, and I thought it was me. Oh, I must be doing something wrong as a husband. I didn't want to be that way, and I couldn't understand why can't I just kind of be the person that I want to be? Why is this thing really controlling me, controlling my emotions, my moods, my activity? And so I had a very strong determination to fight through it. But you can only fight for so long before running out of steam. In the summer of 1996, Crystal was juggling ministry responsibilities with caring for three young children, and she was losing the battle to stay healthy mentally and emotionally. I was also having what's called detachments of reality, where people would talk to me and I could not understand a word they were saying. I knew they were saying English words, but the words were all outside. And it was as if they were speaking a foreign language and you were trying to decipher what the word was. I noticed that she was getting more frustrated and more agitated, but nothing could have prepared me for what I walked in on that one summer evening in August. I came home one Tuesday evening, and as I opened the front door, I heard sobbing coming from the kitchen. And as I rounded the corner and came into the kitchen, there is Crystal laying on the floor, and my three kids, who were very young at the time, um, there they are around her. My son is praying for her. Dear Jesus, please help Mom. My daughter is stroking her hair and saying, it'll be all right, Mom. And she's basically in the fetal position on the kitchen floor. And my first thought was, this is not good. This is really bad. And I knew we were in trouble. It is a very scary feeling when you lose the ability to have a sense of control over what you're thinking, what you're doing. Crystal had suffered a complete mental breakdown. She was immediately put under a doctor's care and diagnosed with clinical depression. She was no longer functional. Her face was blank. The liveliness of her countenance, she was always such a bright person, was gone. Her eyes were sullen and dark, and it was just like nobody was home. And as I was kind of in that state, um, what flashed kind of in my mind's eye was a ghost town an old ghost town with the tumbleweeds and the old rickety shutters and, you know, just there, there's no life in the ghost town. And I looked at that and I thought, that that's my life. There's no life left in me. It's just a shell. There's no inhabitants. There's nothing growing, you know, so why bother anymore? I would not let her give into those thoughts. And I would just begin to say, you know what? We're not going there. You're going to make it. The doctors are going to help us. God is going to help us. You know, I don't know how. I don't know how it's all going to transpire, but we're going to get through this thing. At home, Krista was unable to perform even the basic tasks of living. I would pull out the macaroni box, and I would pull out the pan, and I would look at that and go, now I know I've made this before, but I don't know how to do this now. What do I do first? Do I put the water in? Do I put the noodles in? Do I turn the gas on? And that's what would throw me into the anxiety because something inside of me said, you have done this task a hundred times, but I couldn't access the information to do it one more time. And it got so bad that uh, I did not remember how to dress myself. I would literally get up and I, I remember sitting on the edge of the bed looking at myself in the mirror and going, God, I don't know what to do. What do I do now? Uh, and there was just no, no thoughts would come in to say, you know, logical thoughts. It was gone. Ken took on all the responsibilities at home and in caring for their children. But each day he would give Crystal at least one job to complete. It seems silly to say that giving her one task, make the bed today, would be such a big deal. But for people that may be listening uh, who have relatives that have really been hammered by chronic depression, that really is a big deal. At the end of the day, if she could just say, I did it, I made the bed today, 
that was a big victory for us. And it was little victories like that that I think that kept us going along the way. For the first time in her life, Crystal was unable to serve God. I remember saying to the Lord, I can't read your word anymore. I really can't pray the way I'm used to praying, the way I've been taught. I don't really want to worship. I don't want to sing. I can't go to church. And I, and I just uttered, Lord, I hope you can love me uh, when I can't love you. And the Lord spoke so strongly into that moment. And he said to me, what do you do when your children are sick? Well, you know, you put them on the couch, you give them your medicine, you make them nice and warm and comfortable. I don't really want them to talk. I want them to rest and I want them to be quiet. And basically he just said, bingo, that's where you are. You are sick and I'm going to take care of you. Lay there, be quiet. I'm not expecting anything from you. I will bring what you need. And that was when basically my performance issues began to die. And when I began to realize God loves me even when I can't love him. After months of tests and therapy, Crystal was diagnosed as bipolar, which is caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain that leaves one unable to regulate the highs and lows of their emotions. It can be accompanied by schizophrenia. So I would see things and hear things, and I would struggle with the reality. Did I dream that, or is that real? What if I chose the wrong thing to believe that was real? Would I step over the line, and would I then never come back to reality. I felt like at any moment she could go completely over the edge and I would lose her forever. The unique thing about all that was this happened in August of 1996. In January of 1997, God showed up at our church in renewal. And it was really interesting because at the time, that I was least capable of leading the church, the church started to grow in a greater way than it had grown in four years. I mean, it was like God took over. The church grew in more than numbers. They grew in unconditional love and acceptance for their pastor and his wife. We had one dear elderly couple in the church that I ran across one day. And as I came down the aisle, they just uh, said a very simple greeting that said, uh, it kind of brings tears to my eyes, but um, you know, we love you, we want you well, and just hurry back and take your time. And um, it was those kinds of comments and people that actually aided into the, to the process of wholeness for me. As Crystal's depression stretched from months to years, Ken had to deal with issues of his own. You better believe that there were a lot of conversations between me and God that were down in the dirt, nitty gritty, me and God duking it out. Just because I had to tell someone. I mean, I had to get it out someone. And yeah, I was, I was disillusioned, disappointed, uh, distraught many days when it would get really bad and I didn't feel like I could take it anymore and say, God, just take me out, man. You know, um, and days that I thought, you know, I don't know if I'm going to survive. I don't know if I can, if I can make it with her. Medication got the chemicals in her brain somewhat balanced, and counseling helped Crystal understand some of the root causes of her depression. And really, what came out was the fact I was very angry at God for taking my dad. I really came face to face with the fact that how could you do this? to a 23-year-old woman and an infant that wasn't born. That's not God, that's not fair. The breakthrough helped Crystal's heart start to heal, but after three years, she was still emotionally fragile. The medication was only helping a little bit, but she felt stable enough to attend a church conference. During the worship service, Crystal felt the Lord telling her he was going to heal her, but her schizophrenia made her skeptical. This was part of my questioning, is this real or is this not? Is God really doing this or have I crossed the line into schizophrenic behavior that I'm not coming back? But during the worship, she knew something was different. There was as if a light switch went on and I regained my whole mind in that moment. And I, I then realized I never had a whole mind. I realized I had been lacking all of my life. Crystal stopped taking her medication and waited for the conference to end before approaching Ken. She led with this question. So how do I seem to be? Last 48 hours, 
have you noticed any difference in me? And when I stopped and thought about it, I said, well, you're having like a phenomenal two days. And I was encouraged by that. And that's when she told me, she said, God touched me and healed me and told me the whole story about what had happened during that worship service. I knew something had to be different because I'd never seen her go that long and be, I mean, she seemed to be in her right mind. Even to look in her eyes, there wasn't that hollowness in her eyes. The life was literally back in her eyes. Her countenance was back. And ever since that day, I've never had any medicine. I stayed with my doctors for a year after that because I wanted them to verify the, the experience and I didn't want to walk away from them because I valued their care that they gave me and I allowed them to release me when they were like, Crystal, there's no, you're fine, there's nothing else we can do. I know that part of the healing God gave me was a physical healing because it is a, a physical chemical imbalance in your mind. I know that He dealt with the hurt and pain of my life and touched me there spiritually and then in my mind He was able to to uh, cause me to have right thinking, which is renewing the mind. And, and so in trying to work with people that have mental issues or mental problems or those kinds of things, I believe God wants to minister to the whole person and bring transformation to every part of our, our body, our soul, and our spirit. Now Crystal has started a ministry to reach out to those suffering from depression and mental illness. Well, I have found that depression is an epidemic in the church. But church and ministers do not show people how to be broken. They show them how to be strong and pretend everything is wonderful. And our churches are filled with broken, hurting people that are confused, condemned, and defeated. There needs to be a compassion and an understanding for people. You know, life's problems aren't solved and fixed in a moment. God could choose to do that, but more often than not, God puts us in a crucible because he's developing character and trustworthiness and faithfulness and he's teaching us and he's knocking the rough edges off of us to prepare us for our destiny. To me that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. We're not supposed to hide our problems and show our strength. I think we're supposed to show our weakness and we become strong together. Well if I could have chosen a different path from my life journey and experiences, I certainly would have. But that wasn't afforded to me. A life without struggle is one we all long for but really never receive. Instead, we get to. We get to discover a life of joy and love with Christ through our experiences. I want to share with you three practical steps grounded in biblical truths. The first one is engaging the God with you. The second is embracing the dance with your soul. And the third is entering into the journey with God. There's a passage of scripture that I want to share with you that I think really connects at a deeply human level for our discussion today, and that is from 1 Kings 19. It is the story of Elijah, depicted at the pinnacle of his success, followed by a moment of great mental distress. But in the chapters preceding 19, chapter 18 of 1 Kings, it records the contest on Mount Carmel where Elijah challenged the people and the prophets of Baal to a showdown of sorts. He said in 1 Kings 18:20, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. See, he set the stage to prepare the altars and the command, and then commands them to pray to call down fire from heaven to consume their sacrifice. He takes it one step farther and he douses the altar of God he built with water. Not once, not twice, but three times. The great challenge is set before the people and 450 prophets of Baal. And we see in verse 38 of chapter 18, fire from heaven falling to consume the sacrifice and lick up all the water in the trench. What was the result? Well, the people watching hit the ground and cried, yes, the Lord is God. Now, did you ever think if God just showed up in a big way in your life that you would never, ever again doubt him? 
Now I'm thinking that that's true for me. And I would certainly think that the fire falling from heaven consuming two altars would be an unforgettable experience in my life that would afford me a sure foundation of God's goodness, faithfulness, and provision. And I'm assuming that for Elijah, that at least that miracle showing up would have lasted with a solid foundation for a week, right? Well, it is after this pinnacle moment of success that Elijah fled for his life because of the threat of a woman named Jezebel. We find him in 1 Kings 19 under a tree praying to die. He had enough of this living thing and Elijah was so afraid. Well, my question is this, where did the bold Elijah go from the previous chapter? Why could he not connect back to that monumental God intervention, fire from heaven? Why was he able to be so confident against 450 prophets of Baal and crumble from a message from a woman? See, overwhelmingly, anxiety and fear is irrational and doesn't make any sense. You don't know why it's present sometimes. And that's the thing about anxiety. It is an irrational response to an overwhelming sense that life is out of control. So why am I anxious? Why are you anxious? Because we are human. And God isn't coming through the way we want him to. So I have to say this, I'm encouraged by this story. Why? Because if Elijah can have the greatest moment of his life and then turn and run in terror and watch God show up for him, then that lets us know that when you and I are having our worst moments in life, we are not far away from God, but we are closer to God than we could ever think or know. Now listen carefully. I want to say this to you very clearly. If you are struggling with a sense of despair, anxiety, depression, uncertainty, and fear, it doesn't mean you aren't deeply connected to God. It just means you're human. Unfortunately, what happens in our faith conversations, if you are struggling with this stuff, is that people will tell you, if you were just right with God, you should be okay. So on the top of all the pain that you are dealing with, you then have heaped upon you guilt and shame. So before I go any farther, I want to take a moment right here. I want to invite you to release the guilt and the shame. Maybe you don't know how to deal with the fear, the anxiety, the depression, the loneliness, or insignificance, or whatever it is that you are going through. But what you can let go of is the guilt and the shame. So I just want you to hold your hands up. And if you're experiencing guilt and shame because you have allowed people to hear your story or they know where you're at and you're struggling, I just want you to hold up the guilt and the shame in your hand and say, Lord, I need you to take this. I need you to take this from me. I ask you because I don't want to carry it anymore. It was put upon me and I ask that you release it from me. And he will. He will release this from you. So Father, we thank you that you are lifting guilt and shame right now. I want to share three practical steps to help you navigate through the times of difficulty and uncertainty that we are now in, in order for you to maintain your mental health. The first step that I want to speak to is engaging the God with you. So I want to read from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 and 4 with you. And it says this, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. So when we think about this verse and what is, what is set out here, what we see is that oftentimes when we are in our struggles, the tendency becomes that we 
run away from people rather than run to people. And oftentimes we run from God as well. You noticed in the first part of that verse that Elijah left his servant in another town and he traveled uh, on all day through the wilderness. And, and so the one piece that we have to remember is that the temptation of being alone is great in our times of anxiety, depression, and despair. But the key is we must push beyond that to engage with our God and engaging the God with you and the God with me. So we take a look farther down in that verse and he actually begins to lay his complaint before the Lord. He laid it down and he said, Lord, this is how I feel. This is what's going on. And what I find interesting is he went to sleep. The Lord didn't answer. The Lord didn't answer him. But here is what we know as we read that story in context is that the Lord was all over that scene. He was watching him. He was with him. And so Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I love that verse because it's the promise that you and I can carry when we are in our times of worry and fear and certainty and confusion. When we don't know what's happening around us, the Lord simply says to us out of that verse, I'm close to you. Is your heart broken? I'm close. Is your heart worried? I'm close and I will rescue. He's present with us. But you know what? Oftentimes we get upset because he's not doing what we want him to do. I often wrestle even in my own my own self and even as I hear other people's stories of how do we reckon with a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and yet oftentimes chooses not to move or he chooses to move in a way we don't like, we didn't expect. We can take a look at numerous amounts of biblical characters and as they were engaged in their places of despair, they spoke from deep places to the Lord about how they felt. They spoke about what they were going through. They wondered, where are you, Lord, and what are you doing? And so we see throughout the entire Bible, human beings, biblical characters, godly characters, talking to the Lord about where they are. For some reason, in the church realm, we have found it difficult to really share our emotions and our feelings with the Lord because so often we have been told that it's not, uh, you're not mature, you don't have enough faith. But I want to free you up in this moment um, to let you know that sharing how you feel before God is very biblical. So I want to read a poem to you, and it's called, I Told God I Was Angry. I told God I was angry. I thought he'd be surprised. I thought I'd kept hostility quite cleverly disguised. I told the Lord I hate him. I told him that I hurt. I told him that he isn't fair. He's treated me like dirt. I told God I was angry, but I'm the one surprised. What I've known all along, he said, you finally realized. At last you have admitted what's really in your heart. Dishonesty, not anger, was keeping us apart. For even when you hate me, I don't stop loving you. Before you can receive that love, you must confess what's true. In telling me the anger that you genuinely feel, it loses power over you, permitting you to heal. I told God I was sorry and he's forgiven me. The truth that I was angry has finally set me free. I love that poem because I believe it's where so many of us are. I believe that oftentimes we have all kinds of emotions. We have all kinds of thoughts. We have all kinds of questions about our current situation. And, and especially in this time where we are um, in, this, in this place of a pandemic and there's so much unsettledness and there's so much unknown. A lot of us have a lot of angst or worry or we've lost jobs or we don't know um, how secure the, uh, our financial future will be. And, and so 
sometimes we have been schooled and told that we can't engage a conversation with God on this matter. But I want to tell you that that's not true. You can. We, we not only are to engage in a conversation with God, but we can embrace that emotional part of our soul. If Elijah, who was a man of God, um, filled with the power of God, uh, God demonstrating his power through him, could tell God how he felt in a very low moment of his life, so can you and so can I. And this is my second point. Embracing the emotional part of your life and embracing the dance with your soul. An emotional dance is we have good emotions and we have bad emotions. We all love to stay where the good ones are. We love when it's feeling good, we're feeling happy, we're, we're feeling content, we're feeling joyful, we're feeling connected. You know, we love to stay in that emotional pocket that is good. But when the emotional, when the emotions of our life turn to the, the negative ones or the bad ones that don't have a great feeling, we often want to run away from them. We want to ignore them and we want to deny them. We find out, though, that Elijah embraced his emotions and continues to dialogue with God. So I want to read a few more verses out of 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse 9 through 14. And this is what the Lord said to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Because he had run away and came into the cave and he had spent the night there. Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. And the Lord said to him, Go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake either. And after the earthquake there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets, and I am the only one left, and now you are trying to kill me too. I love how honest Elijah is with the Lord, with his God. The first point was engaging your God. And he did certainly engage his God. And the second point is embracing the dance of your soul, which is how you really feel. And we see that Elijah was able to really speak to God on how he felt and have that discourse with him. You know, another great biblical character in scripture that I love to read, of course, is David's. His discourses recorded in the Psalms reveals how we are to manage through the emotions of our soul or how we are to dance through the emotions of our soul. And so I want to read one, um, another Psalm for you. And, and here's what I want you to really get a hold of is David, a man of God, uh, David, who was a friend of God, David, who conquered um, many battles and won many battles, who loved God, who gave his life and laid his life down for God and all that God wanted to do through David. He was a great man of passion. He was a, um, a great warrior. And he also was a man who was authentic before God because he could put words to his emotions and he took them to God. So in Psalm 13, this is what he says. And oftentimes we will read this very calmly, but I can hear the emotion back behind David's words when he says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? You know what? You can hear the emotion right there in that scripture. You can hear through every question David's agony. 
the agony over his situation of, God, you're not listening to me. God, you've forgotten me. God, do you see the junk inside of me? Do you not see the struggle that my soul is in? And he demands in verse 3, turn and answer me. O Lord, my God, restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. So David is very authentic in saying, here's where I am. He's struggling. He's afraid. He has anxiety. He has fear. He has worry. He has depression. He's wrestling because of his circumstances. And he's taking all of that discourse to the Lord. And then he finally says in verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you've rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Here's the dance, my friend. The dance looks like this. We are able to say to the Lord how we truly feel. I didn't see any lightning coming down on David, and I certainly didn't see when Elijah started to complain that God told him to be quiet, and he did not. In fact, as he is under the tree complaining and whining, as he's even in the cave complaining and whining, notice what God did. He sent an angel to cook him a meal, some bread. He sent an angel to minister to him. And that angel didn't come down and say, what's the matter with you? What are you doing? You, you weak thing. Why don't you have the same faith he had when you just faced uh, the 450 prophets of Baal? He didn't say that. He said, eat, strengthen yourself. See, dealing with our mental health requires the expression of our emotion in the right way. And God knows that. And that's why, as, the, as we see the disciples, as we see the biblical characters, as we go through probably every book of Scripture, when the, the characters release their emotions before the Lord, the Lord did not tell them to stop. The Lord did not judge them, and he did not make them feel guilty. He allowed them to speak their emotion before God and with God because the answer is coming from God. And we see that with Elijah. We see that he was looking for the answers. He was wanting to be heard the same way with David. And both of them knew that no, no other answer was coming in any other direction or in any other way unless it was coming from God. And so while we are engaging in conversation with God, while we are embracing the emotions of our, of our soul and dancing with those emotions within our soul, we have to, the third step is to enter into the journey with God. I want to go back to um, 1 Kings 19. And I want to read verse, um, verse 15 of, of this chapter because here is then how the Lord spoke to Elijah. After he had said, Lord, they're all trying to kill me. It's all over. This is what the Lord said to him. The Lord told him, go back to the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, then you're going to meet the people that I have for you to meet. And so basically, here's what I would say, that God is saying to him, Elijah, get back in the saddle. Get back in the saddle. So we see that Elijah walked with God. We see that Elijah talked with God. We see that Elijah allowed God to demonstrate his power through him, his miracles, his signs, and his wonders. We see that Elijah gave his complaint to God and that Elijah received physical uh, food and rest as God presented it to him. We see that Elijah listened for God and Elijah acted on God's instructions. And the, and the, the big premise here is that when he was found in his place of, of distress, he listened for God and he acted on God's instructions because God has the answer. So as you and I face times and places of uncertainty in the place that we are now as believers and we're not sure what tomorrow holds and we're not sure um, what it's going to look like in 30 days or 
or in half a year or even this time next year. The issue is this, that God knows what he's doing in our heart and our life and God has the next step for you and for me. It is all about journeying with God. We see Elisha going from the miraculous moments to the, to the moment where he's under the tree. And God journeyed with him from the heights to the depths. We see that in David's life. David had great victories, but David had great lows. And God was journeying across every moment of time in David's life, Elijah's life. Every moment of time in Naomi's life, in Ruth's life. Every moment of time, God is traveling with us because God has created us in, in, the, um, in the hopes to be with us. Adam and Eve were created because God wanted to be with man. That's why he, that's, that was the whole premise of, of creating humans, human beings, is that God might have his abode with us. And so we are never made to walk alone. We're never made to walk in isolation of one another or even distance from God. But what happens is when we have encountered places of our, uh, of our life that there, were, there has been great struggle, we pull away from people and we pull away from God, which are the very sources of our help and the very sources for which to gain our wholeness and have a healthy mindset. So in this time and in this this predicament that we find ourselves in, um, it is wearing on us. We are feeling the heaviness of the pandemic. We're feeling the heaviness of, of social distancing. We're feeling the heaviness of things that are out of our control. So what can we do to maintain and walk in a restorative health in our mind and in our mental capacities is to engage your God. Engage your God with everything that is on your heart. Embrace the emotional places of your heart. If you're struggling, tell him that. Um, if you're in that place where there is a fearful moment or there is uncertainty or there is anxiety, let him know that because he has an answer that he wants to give you. And in that answer, he will propel you into the direction um, that can that helps you continue on your journey. There was a a time in um, in my life, probably about 15 um, years ago or so, it was um, a time where I was in, I would say, a, difficult, a very difficult moment that I didn't know what to do, and it was causing a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. I felt very alone in it, and I remember going home um, from church uh, that night, and I remember just talking to the Lord about it and saying, where are you and what are you doing? And I am scared to death about what is about to happen. And I feel threatened and I feel that this whole, um, uh, whole thing is going to explode in my face. And the Lord brought me back to this very story of Elijah. And I felt threatened in the sense of what was being spoken to me. And so as I laid there and I just kind of, I complained and I cried and I whined before the Lord and I said, you got to stop this. You got to stop them. And I felt like the Lord said this to me as I was under my own tree of despair. I felt like the Lord said, go back and read this story and realize that the threat came, but the threat never materialized. So Elijah ran from something that he assumed was going to happen. Was he threatened with his life? Yes, he was but it never happened. And so when I sat in my place of despair, the Lord just quickly reminded me, it's only a threat, it's not your reality. See, oftentimes our anger and our despair and our worry and our, and our um, emotional distress comes from what we believe will happen. And it's interesting that most of the time when we're in that space, we're believing something really bad is going to happen. Isn't it funny that when we're in anxiety and, and stress, we're not stressed over the fact that, oh, something good might happen. We're stressed over the fact of the unseen possibilities of doom and gloom and disaster. And yet most of the time that, that never ever happens. And so we have an opportunity to connect with the Lord, to engage with Him, and trust him in the unknown. So think about it this way. If we're trusting in the God who knows the future, 
we're trusting in a measure of the unknown because you and I can't see the future, but we're trusting in a God who does hold the future. We know that about him. If we allow ourselves, and we all do at times because we're human, go to those places of depression and despair, we're also in a sense trusting that the worst will come to pass that the worst will happen, that the worst is going to come out of this situation. It's never going to return to normal. God, God really isn't going to come through. And so in some odd way, we're trusting in the unknown in both cases. I want to trust in the unknown of what God holds because I know he holds the future. He holds my tomorrows. And as hard as it is sometimes to trust our God because we don't see him acting or because we don't, he's not acting fast enough or he's not giving us the help fast enough. As hard as that is, that's the best place for you and I to be. That's the place we find the biblical characters learning to rest in. And you know, you and I are the same. We're going to walk through hard things. We're going to walk through emotional distresses. But let's learn to trust and to rest in him. And I think with that, we will be able to, to keep a measure of our health to, um, in, in, the mental, in the mental realm. We'll be able to keep our eyes focused on the right thing. We'll be able um, to encourage ourselves in the Lord because we are connected with him, engaging with him, embracing and journeying with him. Elijah felt alone. And it's amazing that God, as, as he complained about being alone, God said, no, you're not. You're not alone. I got all these other prophets over here that you don't know anything about. And so oftentimes our loneliness is felt because we are alone. So I want to encourage you that um, he had to come out of his cave. He had to come out of his complaint. And he had to listen to what God said. He had to get back in the saddle. He had to move on to the next place. And the threat of Jezebel to have his head on a platter within 24 hours never took place never took place. So even Adam in his perfect relationship with God, that relationship was insufficient for Adam as a human because the Lord said it wasn't good for man to be alone. Man needed to have Eve. Man needed to have companionship. So my friend, in these times of uncertainty, in these times where we're not sure what tomorrow holds financially, uh, physically, or even in the business or economic realm, we're not sure what we're facing, but we can be sure of God. We can be sure that he is with me right where I am, that he has my future, and that if I take my solace in him, he will come through for me. God can make a way of an escape through anything. He can make a way of, a, of escape even through your self-made prisons. He can make a way out for you but we must turn to him. Tomorrow will be better because of our choice, our choice to put our eyes in the right direction, to fix our eyes on God, our choice to see the Lord in the midst of the situation and know that he is with us. We, we can choose to engage with God. We can choose to embrace the emotions that are churning within us and lay them before God. And we can choose to continue on our journey with God. There's very practical actions that Elijah even took within this story. And so as this comes to a close, uh, we need to remember um, that oftentimes when we are battling um, anxiety and, and worry and stress and tension, um, we need some physical things in place, which is good rest and good um, food and in times of relaxation. You notice that after the big demonstration um, on Mount Carmel um, and even that low defeat, the Lord uh, brought the angel to give him food and to allow him to rest. There are times where we need to treat the physical body well. Our body needs sleep, our body needs good food, and so those things are important as well. And they need to be coupled with what we are doing with our relationship uh, with God. And so I want you to keep in mind of the steps that Elijah walked through. Right? He engaged the God with him. I encourage you, engage the God with you. He embraced the dance of his own soul. He laid out his emotions before God. And I think it's time for you, if you're in that spot, lay them out before the Lord. And then continue to enter into the journey that God has you on and the journey that you are walking 
uh, walking with. But as I close, some of you may be saying, um, I've never even begun to enter the journey with Christ. I've never even begun to invite him in. And as I hear what you're saying, I have nowhere to turn in my anxiety, in my depression, or in my despair. I have nowhere to turn at this time. I'm scared stiff. I'm scared crazy because of what I'm facing. And maybe you've been sick with the virus. Maybe you've lost a loved one from the virus. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe there's so much uncertainty around you, um, but yet you've not ever entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to enter into that relationship today. It's a very simple ask for you to just ask the Lord to come, come into your mess, come into your life, come into your situation and just be with you and asking him to forgive you of your sins. It's a simple conversation. I read, I read conversations that Elijah was having, that David was having with the Lord. It's, it's a very heartfelt conversation that God causes us uh, or allows us to come into. You can just say, God, I need you, come help me. Come forgive me, I need you in this time of my life. I'm scared, I'm worried, um, I feel frozen. I, I don't know where to move, I don't know what to say, I don't, I don't know what road to walk down. And he will come and be with you. It's not so much the words, it's the cry of your heart to the Father. And so I encourage you to do that and to ask Jesus to forgive you and that you need him and that you want him within your life. And so if you are making that commitment, if you are making um, that declaration in your own soul, in your own heart, um, we would love to connect with you. And so um, you will see coming on your screen, uh, uh, you can text the word LIFE to the number there and it's 815-421-1316 and just text LIFE and we want to um, connect with you, talk to you, and we have something that we can um, send to you and, um, and welcome you into the family of God and into the strength that God has for you because he does so love you and gave his son for you. Well, my friends, it's, it's been um, good to be with you um, this morning. Um, we certainly are just waiting in expectation to when we can all come back together again. But I hope that as you are enjoying this Restored series, that in this component of mental health, um, that if there is the struggle of your heart and of your life um, within anxiety and worry, I hope that you will do the steps that we just spoke about um, today because they will help you and God will meet you in that Earlier on in, the, in um, this morning's broadcast, you saw the clip of my um, testimony and my journey, which was a very deep journey um, in mental illness and, and in um, the struggle um, with dealing with a diagnosis of mental illness. And I just want to make uh, available uh, to you, um, I, I did, I wrote a book regarding all of um, my journey through a very deep mental illness time. It's called, God, Can You Love Me Even When I Can't Love You Back? And um, I have those books, and um, if you would like to um, uh, have one of the books and uh, purchase one of the books, we can mail them to you, we can get them to you. Um, if you feel like you even need someone to talk to, we've got um, pastors and people who are here to help help you in in that kind of journey but it's a resource for those that I know sometimes are struggling immensely with mental illness and with diagnoses and medications and um, we just want to be there to help and to support and so if you you can call the church office um, and they'll put the the number on the screen there and you can connect with us and we would love to hear from you so I bless you everyone have a great day in the Lord